The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to in discussion my guest today continues his father's legacy in research and understanding of the world's oceans with special emphasis on orca whales and was recently quoted whales are to the ocean as humans are to the planet his extraordinary underwater filming examines sea life furthering the work of his father and explored in his latest book my father the captain in the wake of the Gulf of Mexico crisis, he joins me to talk to the long-term effects on sea life and dangers of chemicals and methane gas emitting from the untapped source deep below the ocean. I'm also joined today by Pat O'Brien, investigative journalist from Florida. Jean-Michel Cousteau, welcome to you, Pat O'Brien. Thank you. Thank you, David. Good to be on your show again. Jean-Michel, it's such a privilege to have you here today. I know that your time is limited. Thank you so very much. I know that you are deeply involved and concerned about the crisis in the Gulf today. Could you give me some uh, uh, update as to your, your major concerns over this situation? Well, first of all, we're dealing here with the, the largest man-made catastrophe when it comes to the environment that one could have been avoided and we could have been also uh, in place in case of an accident because we humans make mistakes sometimes. And I'm speaking on behalf of people. I'm speaking not on behalf of the whales and the, and, and the fish. I'm speaking on the impact that uh, we have had on our life support system, which the ocean happens to be, and the fact that uh, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are now in a real difficult situation. And because of my experience in the Exxon Valdez 21 years ago, where I can take you back there and show you that it's not over yet, uh, people there are going to be affected not just in Louisiana, but mostly in Louisiana for now, uh, for decades to come. And I, uh, I really want to help us as a species to find a way whereby not just the United States or this country or that country, but as a species on the planet, we change. Uh, we need to, and I've been promoting now for a few weeks, the fact that we need to have an international independent commission which will not be impacted by the industries or money, will not be impacted by the pressure of politics, left, right, center, really doesn't matter, and will make sure that when we take the risks that we are taking, just like in the space program where we have a plan 
with prevention, 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 and in case of an accident, there is ABC. Well, we need to do exactly the same thing when we want to go and drill at 5,000 feet of depth in a place where uh, the geology is such that uh, we cannot even stop that leak because of the pressure, which is higher than the water pressure at that depth. And if we were to stop it, it would explode somewhere else. So we 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 need to change. And uh, what we're trying to do, and that's why we've been there and we're going back tomorrow, uh, we, we have to put in place a way whereby we protect nature, which means we protect ourselves. Could you tell me, uh, Jean-Michel, before we talk about the impact of people and those those areas in the Gulf, what is the impact both in the short term and the long term on the food chain and the marine life, not only in that area but globally? Well, uh, it's a very good question. And, you know, when we ask about those dispersants which are being used and have been used and abused, by the way, even beyond what uh, the EPA had authorized, uh, those dispersants are not allowed in Europe, by the way. Uh, and why is this authorized there? I really don't know. I don't understand. Uh, when we ask the question, is those dispersants dangerous to the environment, nobody can answer. No one has come forward and can prove and show from a scientific point of view that it doesn't affect the marine life. So we're talking about dispersants that are being uh, released at very great depth, 5,000 feet of depth, and I am totally convinced that it's going to affect the, the, the food chain from the plankton on the way up to the surface. You know, nobody cares because out of sight, out of mind, but <laughs> it's going to affect everything else. And ultimately, let's not forget how the water or other planet functions that water that comes from uh, the Rockies down the, the Missouri into the Mississippi, into the Gulf, has to go somewhere. And together with that oil and those dispersants, ultimately, are slowly making their way into Florida and ultimately into the Caribbean. It's going to go up along the coast, and I know that the Carolina, Carolinas are getting ready for it. And then the Gulf Stream is going to take it all the way up to the northern Atlantic, and ultimately it's going to end up on the coast of the United States. In the United Kingdom, into France, into Spain, into Portugal. That's what we're doing to ourselves. That's how nature works. We knew that. We know that. It's not something we're discovering now. So it will affect not just the Gulf, but it's going to affect a lot of uh, the Atlantic and a lot of us wherever we are on the planet. Now, understanding uh, deep-sea conditions... Uh, with your work. Is there any possibility that they can cap this off, or in your mind is it going to be extremely difficult? I don't believe they're going to cap it, because if they were to cap it, 100% of it, it would blow up somewhere else. Now, so they're not going to do that. What they can do, which they've done or attempted to do, is to try to capture as much as they can, but another 100%, and hopefully uh, recover that oil at the surface, uh, provided that they don't use those dispersants. Because is, if so they capture the, the oil, they can process it. But would that be the, um, the cause also? We know that that particular area, according to Dr. Kessler of Texas A&M and University, who just came back Tuesday uh, with studies, that there is a high methane level in that particular area of the ocean. Are you aware of that? Yes. 
And is that part of the pressure that you're you're talking about? Yes. That, okay. Pressure is higher than the water pressure. That's the problem. What is the concern over the methane gas, John Michel? What what extra problems is that going to pose? Well, it's not just the methane gas. It's the fact that you will come with uh, other oil. Now, with all of this in mind, if even if they were able to cap this off by August or September, is this already a catastrophe in worldwide terms? Uh, has anybody actually constructed any models as to suggest how far this is going to reach? Well, if you're asking me, I, I can only say that because we don't know the real numbers, uh, because uh, either they, we don't know or because they were hidden, uh, or both, uh, we, we don't know. I don't think there's a model we can create. I don't think this has ever happened at that scale, and consequently, we're going to have to learn from it. And uh, at the same time, we need uh, right now to put in place in the Gulf as many of the equipment that is available to clean the water. There is a company which is called East Ecosphere Technology, which I have supported in the sense that I recommend we use it. Uh, and that, that equipment can pick up the water, which is loaded with, with uh, oil and dispersant, separate the oil and dispersant, and put that water right back into the ocean, untouched, in other words, without putting anything into it. That equipment exists. It's been around quite a while. It's worked for the oil company, the gas company, uh, in order to clean the water on the wells because you need 20 gallons of water for every gallon of gas. Uh, is that one of the vessels that you're referring to? Well, it's one, it's one of the ways. I'm sure there are others. But mm -hmm. I know that one, which can clean 1 million gallons a day, and there are 24 units that can be put in place within 24 to 72 hours. And for whatever reason, whether it's BP or, or EPA or the government or whatever, it has not been authorized yet. But I'm going down there, and hopefully we're going to be able to show the world that it works. Now, what is the reluctance here of the federal government not to allow international help with this? What is the reluctance not to allow these private ventures to, to go in there immediately and, and everybody uh, hands-on with this? It, it, there, there seems to be a concern over this. Well, all, all I can say is uh, uh, that, first of all, the Ecosphere Technology is uh, a United States company from Florida. Uh, so it's not an international issue, and uh, I think it's red tape. It's uh, certain companies trying to protect themselves uh, from a financial point of view, maybe. I, I don't know, I, I, and that's why I'm so frustrated, because I want to help. I'm there to help. I want to I help not just the fish and the ocean. I want to help people. Now, and that's what it's all about. Now, let me, if I may, um, switch to the people aspect. Uh, we obviously see that this is absolutely catastrophic for the food chains and the marine life, not only in that area, but beyond. Now, of most concern is that we know that this is going to be an unusual hurricane system. We know that Corexit is being used, which was used in the Valdez crisis, and, and uh, certainly appears to have some very, very nasty elements in that. What is the capability here of really um, having a profound effect upon the people of Louisiana and Florida if they continue to use this material? 
I don't know. I cannot tell you because we we cannot get any answer. We don't know what those chemicals are doing on on not only just the marine life but on people. I have no idea. My team, we were there uh, about a month ago, and they got in the water, and their their skin was burning, and they had headaches when they came out of the water. Well, that never happens when we go diving in clean environment. So. Uh, and that's another reason why we're going to go back there, uh, not just to be uh, to be in pain, but to uh, try to figure out, you know, what is it we can do. Now, all those people who have lost their jobs uh, that are invited to go and move booms and whatnot, they they also have headaches. These people are breathing all that stuff. About forty percent, if I'm not mistaken, of the oil that reaches the surface. Uh, is evaporates. Well, go somewhere, you know, nose in our lungs. Can you and confirm uh, whether or not the, the story that we're hearing is that they're not allowing uh, regular medical people that would want to volunteer to see these patients, that it's BP doctors and nurses uh, that have been hired by BP that are seeing these people. Can you confirm that or... No, I don't think this is correct. I think they are at least in certain places and maybe controlled by uh, the um, uh, the Coast Guards. Uh, there are a lot of uh, unemployed uh, professional fishermen who are uh, providing their vessels to go out there and move booms around and try to stop uh, that oil from reaching the coastline. Now, Jean-Michel, uh, what is the precise uh, job that you have in mind for returning to the Gulf tomorrow? Are you going to be not only looking at the general conditions and, and practical solutions, but are you actually going to be looking at the cap itself to see what they can do to try and shore this up? No, uh, because uh, it's really not my specialty. I'm not a technician and I'm not uh, an oil specialist. I'm into uh, looking at the, uh, the marine environment and trying to help people who have been affected by it. And uh, whenever there is a technology, whichever it is, uh, whether it's ecosphere uh, or uh, technology or any others that can help, I want to support that. I want to help people uh, minimize the impact that it has on every one of us. And uh, that's the mission of Ocean Futures, and that's what we're going to do in the Gulf when we go out there with our team, and we're going to meet a number of people, like the president of different parishes who already have given us uh, uh, interviews. We want an update. Uh, we're going to meet uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the impacted uh, fishermen. We're going to uh, continue to want to meet the people who are in the oil industry because uh, those people know and they can help also. So there, there's a lot that needs to be done. It's going to take a long time. Remember, we're not, we're not reporters. We're not there to blame or accuse or find the bad news or whatever. We're there to help. Now, in terms of the ocean currents, and I know that you study these in great depth, what uh, is the capability if the ocean currents take this oil beyond uh, the Florida loop um, and they don't cap this? Do you have any idea on timeline on how quickly it could get into the Atlantic currents? I think it's going to get in the Atlantic currents in the next few months, definitely. And uh, it has not been capped, so it's still outpouring. Remember, there is approximately, and again, very hard to get the real numbers, 
and uh, approximately every four days, the, the, there's the equivalent of the Exxon Valdez coming out. Every four days, we're on, on date number 69 right now. And so you can divide that by four, and that gives you pretty much a good idea. Uh, and, and it's still going on. In the next four days, there'll be another Exxon Valdez out there, minimum. We are hearing also that there is what they call the nuclear option, um, imploding the crevice that may have been created by this uh, drilling. Um, do you know of any of uh, situation where that has been done successfully and what it has done to the environment? Not to my knowledge, at 5,000 feet of depth. I think, uh, personally, I wouldn't do it. I think it's a mistake. Can we see any recovery for marine life in the Gulf at this stage, or is it a fairly pessimistic outlook? It will recover. It, it, it's an issue of time. It will recover. If you look up at uh, the uh, Prince William Sound, where the Exxon Valdez went aground, uh, a lot of it, uh, the marine life has been affected. 21 years later, it's not all recovered, but some of it is coming back. It's an issue of time. It takes time. Now, the Gulf is much bigger, so, uh, but the oil is much bigger, too. Uh, so, you know, once we stop it, or when does it stop by itself, then we'll be able to start to assess, you know, what impact did it really have on the food chain? Uh, what impact did it have on the coastline? Let's not forget that between uh, the, the the region of Louisiana, which uh, represents 30% or so of all the, the, the protein that are being harvested in, in the United States, uh, that's being pretty much shut down. And then what, those marshlands are critical for reproduction, the shrimps, the crabs, uh, the birds reproduction and so on, and then you go to to uh, uh, Florida and you have the uh, the mangroves. Mangroves are as critical as the marshlands. They are, they are places where all kinds of species hide from predators, reproduce, find food. Birds stop on their migration. I mean, and those are being uh, affected or will be affected in a massive way by these uh, these oil. So the long-term impact, I think, is essentially on, on those coastlines and how that is going to recover. I'm sure it can. Uh, in Fiji, where we have a place, we have a program which is uh, uh, made by volunteers where we, we replant mangroves that have been removed, and it works. So we can do it, but in the meantime, it's going to be a long, long time. Now, what are your expectations with the hurricanes? Uh, can the hurricanes in any way diminish the threat of oil onto the coastline areas, or could it be something that spreads it inland? I think it's going to be worse. I think it's uh, whether it goes to, uh, if you look at uh, the way a hurricane moves, it, if it goes... Uh, too much to the west, it will come to Florida. It sounds uh, illogical, but that's how, how water moves. If it goes to the east, it will go to the west. So it's going to brush the coastline no matter what. Now, does that mean that it has the capability, along with the corrective materials, of actually affecting people's health within the states themselves? I think it already does. Now, and, you know, what about uh, the things we never talk about? These people, many of them, have no retirement, 
They have no health plans. They have no job. And when you look at them, you don't need for them to talk. The stress on their face is something that tells you everything. So what would be the best advice at this stage? Uh, I know that you've got to run, but what would be the v- the best advice for people in the Florida and Louisiana region? Would it would it be best to depart from that area be- before the hurricanes really hit? Or how, how would you advise them? Well, first of all, they have to have backup plans in case of a hurricane, and they should know that. They've been there before, and they, they are <laughs> the best experts at it, there's no question. But I would say that all, all the people who have been affected by this oil system, no matter how it's being put in place, no matter what administrative processes need to be put in place, they need to be helped now. And now, not by saying, hey, here's $5,000. They need to be helped now by saying, this is what we're going to do for you for the next six months or the next year so you can survive, so you can take care of your family. And as things restore themselves or you find other jobs, then this financial support will fade away. But uh, we we need to do it now. I mean, there are people who literally don't know how they're going to make it next week. I actually live just south of the Kennedy Space Center on the uh, what would be the east coast of Florida. Right. Um, we're uh, we're experiencing something in the state um, that we think is possibly acid rain. Is that possible out of these dispersant products? I I don't know. I, I, I wish I could answer that question, but we, we need from uh, people, and you have in Florida, you have amazing uh, scientists and, and people who can look into it and give us answers. We need answers. They need to go and check that out, uh, uh, whether it's the university or, or the research centers. You have wonderful people there who can give us a lot of answers. Could I ask you, Jean-Michel, as far as the correction material is concerned, what were the effects when used in the Valdez crisis? Was it positive or did it leave behind a dreadful dreadful aftermath? I I think it was pretty negative. Uh, You know, we're going to go back there, by the way, uh, because I want to talk to uh, the Indians. You know, nobody talks about those people. They're just sitting on the beach there. Well, they, they're totally dependent on uh, the resources from the bay uh, for their food. They don't have jobs. They, they just live with nature. And so what, what has been the impact on them and how are they doing today? I want to talk to some of the fishermen whom I've met in those days who uh, saw their uh, relationship with their partners, and I mean uh, another fisherman, being destroyed because they did not agree on, on uh, what they were going to do with their vessels. Seeing suicide rates are up in that area. We're seeing domestic disputes are up in that area. We're yes. already seeing suicides of a boat captain in Louisiana. I know, uh, and I know. It's usually that's a trend. You know, when someone starts, others do it. Now, what would your uh, advice be, uh, Jean-Michel, to people in that area at this please, stage? Please, please, please don't give up. And what about the, the fishermen, uh, the oyster industry? Uh, will they have to face up to a, a period of um, uh, isolation here while uh, you possibly have decades of, of regrowth to the point where they can uh, fish again? I think some industrial people 
should come there and start farming away from the ocean to employ those people. You go to Baltimore, and there is a now a scientist by the name of Dr. Zohar who has come up with the answers to farm several species of fish. You can see it. You can go there. You can visit his place. It's several stories. It's now becoming a business plan which can be adjusted to the local demand. It can be for a small town or it can be for a big city. And those people who've lost their job will not recover for a long time. They need to be offered by the industrial people, people who want to make money, uh, to invest in those farms that can be built away from the ocean so you control your investment. Those people can be employed to work there, and the fish which will be delivered at the doorstep of the farm will cost around $6 a pound. That is a reality. It exists. It can go forward. It can be put in place, and it will help all those people. Now, in closing, uh, Jean-Michel, what would you say uh, should be the prime goal at this stage of our government in reinforcing this situation and supporting this situation in allowing uh, individuals, private corporations to come in with equipment to support this? Uh, You just said it. I think anybody who has a uh, technology that can help should be given a chance to put it in place, number one. Number two... Uh, any decision makers, whether it's in government or industries, that can help those people, uh, at least, even if it's temporarily, uh, find another way of making a living and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, some of those people have been there for five, six, eight generations. We're not going to remove them. They're not going to go away. Uh, We need to help them, and I think we can And uh, in closing, I do thank you so much for joining us today. I do uh, thank uh, Pat O'Brien and his team for for bringing you on the program. We would love to follow you with this in the future um, and uh, bring you back onto the program. I do wish you so much love with your... Uh, all your support down there, and we we will be really uh, uh, following you intensely. Question. Uh, Would you, uh, please, Jean-Michel... Yeah. Talk about your book just for a moment and who the boss was in the family. I, uh, I watched you on Craig <laughs> Ferguson and, and saw the, the, the little uh, clip you have in there. Would you just tell that story quickly? <laughs> I can tell you, be listening. Uh, I wanted to call it my, my mother, the captain. Uh, and National Geographic said, uh, nah, I don't think it's going to sail. <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll call it my father, the captain. But if if you open the first the first image, which is on the front of the book, I mean in in page number two or three, you see a drawing uh, of my mother telling my dad, uh, who is standing in front of her, uh, all dressed up in a diving suit uh, from top down, and she's telling him, uh, Jacques, wipe your fins before you come in. <laughs> that tells you everything about the book. Uh, she played a critical role during all those years on expedition. She spent more time on the ship than my father, my late brother, and myself together. She was the, uh, uh, how can I say, the stabilizer of the vessel, of the team for 
all those years, and I pay her a great deal of respect in the book. And where can we get that book? I don't know. In a bookstore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Any bookstore would have it. And, right? uh, you know, Amazon has it. Everybody has it. <laughs> very good. Jean-Michel okay. Jean Cousteau, thank you for joining us today. We wish you luck. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. And I have uh, John Young uh, holding for us from, uh, he's a councilman for Jefferson Paris, uh, Parish in South Florida. John, are you with us today? Yes, I am. John, thank you so much for joining us today. I have Pat O'Brien joining us as well. Hey, Pat. How are you? Uh, it's so good to have you on at such short notice. We really appreciate it. I'd caught you on um, the um, Stuart, with Stuart Barney on Fox today. And uh, yes, saw what you were saying and, and knew that you're one angry man as I am also being a Florida resident um, and trying to do everything we can do to salvage as much of our Gulf Coast as we can. And um, I, I saw what you were saying today, and I thought our listeners really needed to hear what you had to say. Appreciate that. Tell me, John, for our listeners, whereabouts are you exactly and what is the situation there at the moment? Well, I was down on the ground in Grand Isle, which is ground zero for Louisiana, um, in addition to Venice, Louisiana, which is in the neighboring parish of Plaquemines. But, uh, you know, we've been fighting this, you know, from uh, day one uh, and trying to get the federal government and BP to realize that they need to have a sense of urgency, intensify the manpower and equipment dedicated to this operation. And unfortunately, you know, we're um, over two months since the blowout. They still haven't plugged the hole. But in addition to that, uh, oil keeps coming ashore uh, into our uh, wetlands, estuaries, and bays. And today, for instance, uh, on a flyover, there was thick, uh, crude, uh, a large swath of it, uh, with some reddish crude, thick black and thick red crude, uh, about two miles off the coast of Grand Isle, and there wasn't a ship in sight. Um, let, let me just clarify where you are exactly again uh, in that state. In relation well, to, say, uh, I, Saints... I have, I've now come back to Metairie, but I, we, I was in Grand Isle today. Uh, Grand Isle, Louisiana, which is the largest inhabited barrier island uh, in the United States. And how far would that be from New Orleans, for example? Uh, Grand Isle is, uh, by road, it's about, uh, I would say, 70 miles from New Orleans. Uh, I was right. About a, it's about a 30-hour helicopter flight from downtown New Orleans. Now, what are the what are the conditions today? How many of your beaches have been impacted by this oil? Well, we have uh, we've had Elmer's Island, uh, East Grand Terre, uh, have been impacted by the oil, which are islands surrounding Grand Isle. Uh, the National Guard, with the state government and local governments, built a land bridge there with with sand berms and stopped it so it couldn't get into the bays and estuaries. It's actually some of the oil has actually come onto the. Uh, the uh, main island of Grand Isle, but most of it has gone into bays and estuaries, uh, David and Pat. And, um, you know, uh, another example of our frustration and anger, which is not uh, limited to me, uh, all the state and local officials, the only effective measures that have actually produced any concrete results have been initiated by the state and local governments. Um, we literally had uh, vacuum trucks similar to the type of trucks you use to uh, empty portalettes, strapped onto the decks of barges in Bay Jimmy, which is in Plaquemines, right about, uh, by boat, about 20 minutes out of Grand Isle. 
thick black crude about 10 days ago, sucking it up with these vacuum trucks and other machines. And the Coast Guard comes in the day after we were out there and uh, shuts down the operations for uh, checking for life vests and safety equipment. Uh, I have no objection to them doing that, but they could have done that on on the scene without bringing the barges in to dock and, and losing a valuable 24 hours of operation. Because once this thick black crude gets in our wetlands, it's it's easy to clean up on sandy beaches. Once it gets in there, you have to suck it up, and um, uh, it's very very hard to do that. But now, is 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 it point, is it actually in the wetlands area now? Yes, yes, and uh, there's more oil coming. Uh, there's more oil coming today. And now, who's stopping you? I mean, uh, who exactly the, the, is stopping you from doing that? Is it the Coast Guard? Well, or? the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard did it at that at, uh, that day. Okay. There's another example. We finally got the approval to get to build these sand berms uh, again to protect us from the oil and fight it offshore, as opposed to in the bays and wetlands and estuaries. And last week, uh, the Interior Department shut down uh, the, the sand berm, the dredging of the sand berms. And now we, they're telling us they're going to let us go forward. Uh, but again, we've lost several valuable days. So it's we're not, we're not the cable networks or, or mainstream media where we're beholding to the money that's being spent by BP Petroleum um, to be keep quiet. Uh, that's the, the nice part about the Internet. And so we can tell the truth. Do you feel that um, the possibility that you have a Republican governor and Bobby Jindal and God bless him, because he's the type of person that we need. Uh, we know the political connection between Nalco Corporation and the poisonous Corexit product. We know that right. to be sister I've companies. I've made that point as well. Right. Okay. We know that um, they're, they're eliminating uh, Mike Huckabee, uh, Governor Mike Huckabee, we plan. He's now a Florida resident. <laughs> as um, a Florida, new Florida resident, uh, he is also angry and has showed hundreds. There are hundreds of products out there that could do the job. What is stopping this from from being executed? What is stopping that from being executed? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I've raised that as, as as early as a month ago about core exit and the relationship between BP and the manufacturers of core exit. In addition to that, there are various um, organic dispersants that could be used. What is the main livelihood? I'd like to build up a, a story here. What is the main okay. livelihood in your area at the moment? The main livelihood of these people, are most of them are fishers, shrimpers, and oystermen. At they this... make their living off of, uh, you know, uh, harvesting seafood, shrimp, fish, and oysters. At this point, are they, ha- has that been terminated for now? Yes. What provisions do they have in place to replace that or to either maybe even realize that they're they're living in possibly dangerous conditions, hazardous health conditions? Is there any uh, acceptance of that possibility? Well, I mean, obviously we're going to continue to fight, but certainly at this point, uh, you know, these people are very strong and resilient. They've been through four hurricanes, and now they're going through the worst uh, oil disaster in U.S. history, probably world history. Uh, and they're worried about paying their mortgages, getting their kids back in school in the fall, and, and putting food on the table. Right now, they're getting money from um, BP, but they'd much, much rather be out there doing what they do for their livelihood. Their entire way of life is being destroyed as we speak. The tip of Grand Isle there um, that has been there for centuries, 
uh, it, living off from the land, and, and it was right. sad to see a husband and wife who are obviously tribal leaders um, in tears of watching generations and generations. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot by naming the tribe. I, I wish I could remember it. But um, the sense as in seeing the, that couple is the sense of that of the disaster getting inland, like to New Orleans. I mean, is that concern as heavy as what I witnessed on of this tribe that's being ruined because they live, they eat the fish, they they fish it and sell it, and then the as you go inland, how aware are the people of the sensitivity of what this disaster it could mean in the long haul? Well, certainly in Louisiana, it, it is, is, is definitely uh, realized. But what the problem is, in my humble opinion, is that, you know, uh, it's not realized by, by the authorities in Washington, D.C. I think it's, you know, the media's done a great job. Y'all are doing a great job getting the message out, and I think the American people are very sympathetic to the cause. And I, I, I want to translate it into, it's not just a Louisiana problem or Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. It is a national problem in the sense that, Louisiana, the bays and estuaries in Louisiana produce 30% of the fisheries uh, consumed in the entire United States, domestic fishery product. Secondly, we produce 30 to 35% of natural oil and gas for the entire United States. Uh, this is not just a Louisiana problem. This is a national problem. Now, what, what are you going, what is the solution, though? What is the solution if you know that it's going to be dangerous to fish? You know that you're not going to have that livelihood right now. What is right. it that you can replace for now to take care of people, to take care of people's health? Well, I mean, we're doing everything we can at the state and local level. We have uh, clinics set up, uh, you know, tents set up to help people in terms of health issues. We have Department of Health and Human Services in Louisiana has a council that actually rides around the island on a bike to counsel people. Uh, and obviously, you know, we're trying to get uh, aid through the SBA, uh, trying to get payments, compensation payments made on time by BP, uh, and trying to get help to anyone who needs it. We have a, a concert uh, that's going to take the place of the um, Grand Isle Tarpon Rodeo called Island Aid to raise money uh, to, to help people and also raise awareness of the spill. But, you know, what really needs to happen is we need to plug the hole, and, I, and I've said this uh, six weeks ago, that the federal government should have come in and, and uh, let BP concentrate on plugging the hole. The federal government, in coordination with state and local government, should have coordinated protection of our coast, uh, bays, inlands, and estuaries. Uh, what is the role of FEMA that you're seeing played? FEMA hasn't really been involved, from my standpoint, uh, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really being processed through BP representatives. They're handling the claims. Uh, FEMA hasn't uh, been involved, at least not down here on the ground level. That's uh, uh, that's what we have been hearing, and uh, it seems. Wouldn't you figure that a disaster of the nature, as you had Katrina and many other storms come through, as we did here in Florida, that you would see FEMA on the ground? Well, I would, you would normally see that, but, I mean, certainly we can't lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, BP is a responsible party. Mm-hmm. And BP is the one who needs to pay uh, for the damages. John, how, so what, think, is, what is the population in your area? Well, in the whole parish of Jefferson, uh, you're talking about 460,000 people. And what is, the uh, ge- what is the general 
consensus there right now? How are people coping with it? The general consensus is that the federal government has failed us a second time, first with Katrina and now with this oil disaster. And what could one what could one expect from local people there? I mean, are they close to taking up this issue themselves? Would they rather start cleaning up the beaches and marshes themselves rather than wait? Yes, they would. And that that's another issue that, that one... Um, uh, the beaches are heavily guarded. Um, you can't go on the beaches. Um, volunteers uh, cannot even get involved. Uh, there are several uh, volunteer organizations that wanted to get involved, and after Katrina they were able to, but because they're dealing with hazardous materials, volunteers aren't even uh, interjected who, into the who situation. Is stopping, who is stopping that movement? Uh, is it the, the Coast Guard? or is it BP and the Coast Guard. I mean, BP and the Coast Guard are running the operation at this point. Is there a valid reason why people would not be allowed to go to those coastline areas just because it is so toxic? Well, uh, the volunteers that I spoke with on Grand Isle several weeks ago uh, and have tried to plug into the relief efforts actually went and got trained um, in HAZMAT and HAZWOPPER uh, and got certified. Um, they don't even want to get paid uh, but, you know, at the same time, what BP's telling them is that there's no mechanism to plug in volunteers. And two, they want these volunteers to sign away their rights. And certainly they don't want to do that. So there's a real disconnect there. May I ask you, Pat O'Brien, you're, you're over in Florida, sir. What, obviously in Louisiana, the, this is an amazing sense of calm, considering the conditions that they're under. Do you think that people would be different in Florida if they were in the same situation today that they could well be in a couple of weeks from now? Do you think it would be a different outlook? Do you think people would take things into their own hands? Well, I, you know, I kind of agree with John from the standpoint that people are trying to get their kids ready for school. and They have no idea what this disaster could ultimately mean. Uh, it's not being – our local media <laughs> – uh, I, I, I'm trying to tell them that you may not have a television station to broadcast from in Orlando, Florida, based on the fact that this methane gas level is so high and nobody knows what could possibly happen. We know that there are plans, UN plans, for evacuation. We have documented it um, to evacuate the state of Florida. People have no clue to that possibility or to Louisiana. They have no clue. They have no plan. And the government has done such a great job, and BP has done a great job in this cover-up. And it's all about the money. It's all about the oil. We have traced in other programs uh, the Goldman Sachs connection, the selling short of Goldman Sachs, who was the largest holder of BP stock, uh, sold short six weeks prior to the event. We have now been able to document that Michelle Obama, actually sold short her uh, stock through Vanguard. She held the um, uh, BP stock. She sold it six weeks short. Uh, we have been able to do a connection between George Soros and this whole uh, plan uh, with this group called Petrobras, uh, which is a Brazilian company who was all set until the federal judge stepped up in New Orleans. They were all set to be able to assume the assets of BP and and the growing rights of BP until this federal judge stepped up, who I understand is now um, under armed guard, 
um, but stepped up and stopped that action from happening. Let me come in there. Let me come in there. John, what would your response be to those concerns? Would would you concur with this, this wider problem that we're facing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, it, it, this this is a wider problem. I mean, certainly, you know, we we don't even have the the uh, the leak plugged at this point. It's an uncontrolled continuous discharge, and who knows what the real fallout and at the end of the day, what the real damage is going to be. And it's not only um, environmental and ecological; it's going to be a serious economic uh, disaster as well. If you were given the choice today of to either close all those refineries down in the Gulf or to keep them going for the sake of the of the employment. Which would you opt for, given your position? Uh, I would. I would. I am definitely opposed to the moratorium. Uh, I, thir- I certainly think mistakes were made, but I don't think you should uh, 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 do a blanket moratorium. I think inspections should be made while operations are ongoing, and 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 you shouldn't. It's, it kind of reminds me when I was a young child in school. They came in, and BP's proven to be a reckless operator, uh, cut corners. Uh, they have a bad track record, and then to to just throw everybody into uh, to the corner, into the punishment corner, to me, makes absolutely no sense. And the other problem we have with that, because you, you can have drilling, you can have it done safely, if the federal government would have not fallen down and regulated it through MMS, who became a lapdog instead of a watchdog for the industry. But also, we, we're going to lose, uh, it's going to be even more of an economic loss if they cut, cut uh, continue with this moratorium, because we, we're going to lose $100 million a, a month. Uh, in Louisiana because so many people make their living off the offshore oil industry. Now, and we've only have two minutes left in the program, but could you, we have international listeners, we have people from all over the world, could you just very briefly give a description of where you are today, how people are feeling, and how people can rally behind you? Well, it's almost like that movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray where you get up and do the same thing every day and the same thing occurs every day. There's really uh, a sense that the federal government and BP have failed uh, the citizens of Louisiana for a second time. It's been an unmitigated failure. Um, what you know, the president says we're at war. Well, if we're at war and we were being attacked by a foreign country, uh, we'd be occupied territory right now. Uh, there needs to be uh, a more of a sense of urgency, um, it needs to be an intensification of manpower and equipment. And, you know, the state and local governments have come up with plans. It may be at some point, and I'm a pretty moderate person, but at this point we're getting to the, to the point at state and local level where we may have to defy the federal government and just do what we have to do and, and, and bear the consequences because we can't wait for a perfect plan. Uh, if there was a perfect plan, that never would have been a D-Day invasion. Um, the, the corporate, we're in a tourism state, as you are as well. Right, uh, and we're, trying to, we're trying to get the, the tourism people to come off their wallets to be able to employ a number of these these remedies that could soak up the oil before it hits the shores or to use right. a proper dispersant um, or a emulsifier uh, to stop it from reaching our shores. Uh, have you made any kind of um, uh, inroads in, in getting those that would normally depend on tourism to help save the state? Absolutely, and that—that's my point. We should be fighting this, you know, at the side of the blowout, and 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 we should be putting all every asset we have available to fight it, and, and not wait till it gets to the shore. Or, you know, y'all in Florida, you, you know, obviously nobody wants anything out. But at least you have beaches, but we have bays, inland.
estuaries. And once it gets in there, there's no way to get it out other than sucking it up. We should be fighting it offshore. We should have tanker ships. We should have these, these skimmers, and we should be, be preventing it uh, from coming into the shore. Gentlemen, this is my final question because we have to close out. Uh, John, what is it that you can tell people worldwide about how strong you are, how unified you are, how determined you are, not only to save your neck of the woods, but to, to save this whole area and this whole country? We, we, we're not going to give up. We're going to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. We're very resilient people in South Louisiana. We've been through numerous disasters. Uh, we're going to survive this one, but, but we need the federal government, the United States government, if they're not going to help us to get out of the way and let us do it ourselves. But at the end of the day, BP is going to need to pay for it. Just very briefly, just very briefly, describe, describe your coastlines and the beauty. Well, I mean, the beauty of the coastlines, we have uh, nesting areas for brown pelicans, migratory birds. Uh, uh, we, we produce, again, as I said, 30% of the, the fisheries, domestic products of the entire United States. Some of the richest estuaries are in Barataria Bay, where the oil's coming up because Grand Isle protects Barataria Bay. And uh, it's just beautiful, all kind of marine life, wildlife, uh, one of the richest estuaries in the world, and it's being, under, it's being attacked right now by oil. John Young, Councilman for Jefferson Paris, Pat O'Brien, investigative journalist from Florida. I thank you for joining us today. Thank you all very much. Thank you, David. To our listeners, right. I hope you are getting ever more information about this crisis in the Gulf and the resilience of these people who are going to succeed in saving not only that area, but our whole world, I believe. Wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.